Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is October the 20th, 2021, and it's a day of launches. All sorts of launches happening today uh, in my perusal of the media on the internet. Um, there was a launch of a Bitcoin's future platform, ETF, which did very well, according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I always thought of Bitcoin essentially as uh, a futures product or an idea. So I'm not sure how you have a future of the future. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, everyone's reporting on Bitcoin's big day on Wall Street. They're becoming kosher, conventional, established in traditional financial institutions. Uh, and Bitcoin has jumped to a new high now today, uh, above $66,000 after this uh, ETF uh, launch. Um, meanwhile, um, there's another launch. A crypto mining company has launched, and its um, its launch is soaring as well. So lots of money made, lots of money being made on the crypto front, um, and particularly by young people. As we look around the world, it seems as if crypto has become both the actual and symbolic vehicle for the the young in the world to articulate their hopes and distrusts of the current establishment. It's not just crypto, though, and Bitcoin mining that launches today. Um, North Korea. We all remember North Korea. It used to be in the news with Donald Trump. It's less in the news now, but it's back in the news. They've confirmed the launch of a new ballistic missile. Um, the Washington Post reports that uh, it's a short-range ballistic missile from a submarine. Uh, and lots of uh, strategic thinkers are scratching their heads about what this all means. So we have launch of crypto futures platforms, crypto mining, North Korea. And we also have a launch of a new book, which in an odd, serendipitous kind of way, uncannily serendipitous, given what's happening today, brings all this stuff together. Uh, my guest on the show is uh, a young Canadian journalist, uh, Ethan Lau, or Lou, um, and he has a really interesting new book out, a very energetic, I iconoclastic book about the most iconoclastic subject, Bitcoin, and it's also about North Korea and his trip to North Korea. So, it's appropriate that he's launching his book at a time where both North Korea and crypto are in the news for their launches. Uh, and uh, I'm thrilled that uh, Ethan is joining me from his kitchen in Toronto, Canada. Uh, Ethan, how does this all fit together? Did you arrange it? Did you have a word with the North Korean uh, dictator that he would launch his missile today so that it would it would be a good opportunity to talk about North Korea and crypto in the same sentence. Yeah, I tried to call him, but he wouldn't pick up my call. You should have told him you were Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, but no, this was the deal for this book was signed, I think, two years ago, more than two years ago. So, yeah, the, like how you described, very serendipitous how everything all came together. 
Well, it's an internet fantasy, an internet parable, an internet perhaps conspiracy. Uh, the book, Ethan, uh, I've been reading it all morning. It's very energetic, uh, compulsive reading, really well done. Congratulations. Once a Bitcoin Thank miner. You. It's not just about North Korea and your trip to North Korea, but the trip seems to sort of capture the insanity of our blockchain crypto moment. Tell me about why and how you went to North Korea to a, a crypto conference. So there are basically two reasons. One, there is the personal fascination I have with North Korea, and that stems on how I uh, stems from how I was born in China, and I always tell my parents about the weirdness that comes from North Korea, and my father will say that's not weird. That is the China in which I grew up. So I've always viewed North Korea as a bit of a time capsule. I think if I go there, I can see kind of the land uh, in which my parents grew up because China has changed so much, whereas. North Korea has remained rather stagnant. And second reason is the crypto reason. So I, I'm a big crypto guy and I've always been interested in how North Korea has been, it's been accused of doing lots of shady things with crypto, um, hacking, stealing hundreds of millions in coins. And when the conference was advertised, I thought that was a, that was a great way to get this sort of front row seat to what was happening to see for myself what North Korea has been doing in that field. And um, tell me what happened there. You, um, for people who don't want to buy the book yet, but want a taste of your reading, there's there's a lovely um, excerpt from the book on the walrus uh, on your experience in North Korea. But briefly, Ethan, what was this trip like? It, it sounds to me like it was a little bit of a disappointment. You're expecting perhaps more Hollywood, and, and, and it turned more into a, a North Korean experience. Yeah, I did not get at all what I was seeking from that trip because it turns out that on the first day, they told us that you, in fact, are not going to hear from the North Koreans. In fact, the North Koreans are going to hear from you. And... There were one or two people within the group. There were eight foreigners and they were going as speakers. So they knew that. But the rest of us, we were simple participants. And so a lot of the presenters at the conference, they just came up with their spot like a day or two beforehand. And yeah, I never got to hear from a single North Korean uh, with respect to the country's uh, crypto plans. Ethan, when I was growing up, the... The knowledge that I think divided my parents' generation from, from us, the new generation, was maybe the language of sex or of drugs or of revolution. Today, it seems the revolution, or at least the language dividing one generation from the other, is the language of crypto. Um, many people, I think, of my generation are utterly confused with what Bitcoin is, what crypto is, what blockchain is and particularly what Bitcoin mining is. Perhaps you might explain it, because it's a fascinating concept of, of mining Bitcoin, which is, of course, the new peer-to-peer -peer digital currency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and first off, you definitely grew up in a more interesting time than me. And... Well, you're, 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 <laughs> Ethan, you're very self-deprecating, but that's your... That's your shtick, I think. You you seem to get pleasure out of being miserable. Maybe you, again, <laughs> capture the spirit of your generation. Hmm. 
pleasure from being miserable. Well, uh, anyway, m mining. So it's the process by which bit new Bitcoins are introduced into the system. It is also the process by which uh, transactions are recorded and tabulated. And so while a transaction happens, the process to facilitate that transaction at the same time that generates additional Bitcoins into the system. And uh, why is it such a, a controversial issue, Bitcoin mining? Seems to me as if it's controversial on the one hand because it can be managed by states like China or perhaps North Korea. Secondly, of course, uh, the environmental consequences are very uh, troubling. What is it about Bitcoin mining that somehow captures the insanity of our blockchain peer-to-peer -peer moment? Mm -hmm. So China has kicked out all of its miners. And so mining is basically the backbone of cryptocurrencies, of most cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So uh, theoretically, if you control 50% of the network, so if you control 50% of the mining power, you get to control Bitcoin. And it's it's been it's theoretically impossible, but there has been a huge concentration of miners in China. And people have been talking if if the Chinese government were to try to take over all of those mines, would the Chinese government be able to control Bitcoin? And now that China has kicked them out, that 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 has kind of dissipated. And with respect to the environmental aspect, a lot of electricity is is used for mining. It's very computer intensive and and it, it escalates because of how the system is designed, the more computing power that goes into it, uh, the harder that process becomes. And so more computing power needs to go into it. And again, the news today seems to be that the, the big players are getting involved in Bitcoin mining. Jack Dorsey, who's both the CEO of, uh, of um, Square, the P2P digital finance company, payments company, and Twitter, of course, has announced that um, Square is considering Bitcoin mining. And as you said, uh, the uh, Bitcoin mining prices are up since China banned it. Are, are we on the verge, do you think, Ethan, of Bitcoin mining be going mainstream on platforms like Square and perhaps PayPal and other P2P finance uh, platforms? Yeah, absolutely. But I would also say that... Uh, great big reason for why Bitcoin mining companies have taken off. It's, uh, it's a financial reason because it used to be a lot harder to, to buy Bitcoin and to profit off the price movements. So um, how would you do that? You would buy shares in a mining company. It's like buying shares in a gold mining company to profit off the rise and fall of the prices of gold. But I think increasingly with stuff like the Bitcoin ETF, there, there might be less need for investors to invest specifically in a mining company. Your book, uh, Ethan, as I said, I think it's a really good book. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to acquire some cult success on lots of fronts, <laughs> both literary and otherwise. Uh, you had an excerpt, I think, oh, on, thank um, you. on LitHub. It's the kind of platform that will enjoy it. People will be listening to this on LitHub as well. But it's very... Um, to, to be polite, it's 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 two-sided. There's two sides of this book. A lot of people picking it up would assume that this is a book about the Wild West and 
making lots of money or losing lots of money on Bitcoin. And, and, and when you look at your table of contents, your, your acts depend on the price of Bitcoin from the high of 20,000 down to 3,000, then back up to 13,000. Uh, but I also found it a very, very melancholic book, uh, for better or worse. It's a sad book, and there's a, a sadness to, to the way in which you describe yourself. Uh, here's, here's chapter one, the first paragraph on describing yourself. Uh, I grew up in Wuppertal in Western Germany, the birthplace of both aspirin and heroin. Invented by the same guy in a two-week period in the 19th century. My childhood began a little after the fall of the Berlin Wall, which, and I'm putting this, this is my insert, which was supposed to be, according to my generation, the end of history. Of course, it was anything but. And my doctoral candidate father supported the family on the modest income typical of his position. I remember when he hauled home an old bicycle for me, all the way from another city. I hated it and never rode it. I think it used to belong to a girl. The plastic decorations on the spokes were too pink. And like the hand-me-downs I wore, the bicycle was too big. Um, Ethan, lovely writing, by the way. Congratulations. Great oration by you as well. Thank you. Well, if, if you've got some extra money, you can hire me as your reader. Um, <laughs> oh, the guy who voiced my audio book, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do the audio. The guy who voiced my audio voiced Squid Game. Ah, thank you. So well, I already uh, got a star. Uh, well, uh, in all seriousness, Ethan, I know you're not trying to represent your generation, to borrow some language from the English rock group The Who, but there is a generational sadness, I think, perhaps even to Bitcoin. Uh, you, you, you write about this on, on, on young people. You have, again, a wonderful section. Uh, in many ways, my generation considered itself damned. Is, what is it about your generation? What has happened, Ethan? And I'm giving you the permission to be the spokesman for your entire generation for this interview, <laughs> at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually people who say they're the voice of a generation, they end up on the wrong side of history, eh? But anyway, um, I think the generation prior to mine, uh, maybe two generations prior, but the, the, the big one that everyone talks about, the boomers, I think particularly your generation, uh, you've had it a lot better than ours. Um, university was a lot cheaper, houses were a lot cheaper, and jobs were a plentiful. And but when when I entered the workforce, when I uh, when I turned 18, that was really just in the aftermath of the financial crisis. And we did not enter uh, a good economic climate. And I would also say that at the same time that there is this uh, stereotype of the decadent millennial, but uh, what scholars actually say is that increasingly parenting practices have become more restrictive. Kids are a lot better behaved. And as a result, I think young adults, uh, they take they take fewer risks. People my age, or we we actually have less sex than, than previous generations. So very hemmed in, very restricted. And I think there is a, that there is this sort of energy here that that seeks an output. 
So in, in a funny kind of way, we, we talked a little bit, you, you grew up in the town where heroin and aspirin was invented. Is Bitcoin, blockchain, um, crypto, is it the, the aspirin and the heroin of your generation? No, uh, I would say it's something else. It's the, it's the wild west of my generation. And when I say it, uh, what was the wild west to the, to the people who seek it back in the day? Imagine you're a poor man in Ireland uh, of the lower class. You don't have a lot of money and you are quite restricted in every aspect of your life. But you seek a ticket to the new world where there are, there's land aplenty, where lot, there are lots of opportunity for riches. In 19th century, century California, gold swam in streams, you know, like, like fishes, like carps and bristlemouths, you know, anyone... You bend your back over the waters, you can rise a baron. And and also you are in the West, you're free from the societal hierarchies back home. But of course, we no longer have that. We don't have a new undiscovered continent anymore. But we have a metaverse and Bitcoin, this uh, unlike any other subculture or industry, this is its own world. And I think that is what it represents. Yeah, you write about uh, the dark web. Um, you, you say, well, whatever the service or product, those dark web entrepreneurs required payment in Bitcoin. Not long after its release, the world's first cryptocurrency had seen its first major use case. Um, it's all about the dark web and, um, and violence. Uh, you, you begin the book with a, with a mafia killing or a miskilling, someone being assassinated by accident. So in spite of the fact that your generation is not having as much sex or perhaps fun as my generation, um, the, the dark web is, is, is full of color, isn't it? Full of energy and violence and dreams. Yeah, uh, you can put it that way. But I would also say that the people who are exploring the dark web, uh, they don't they're not representative of my generation. And the fact that there are people uh, exploring that, I, I think it represents this uh, this longing in my generation for that sort of adventure, if that makes sense. I, yeah, so, so what you're saying is that they, they go to the dark web uh, in 2021 as uh, in the, the 1850s, people came to California to search for gold. Oh, well, no, it's much I, less risky. I mean, <laughs> I meant to enter the world. You, you were risking your, your physical body. It was hard to get here. Anyone can go on the dark web, right? Well, I would separate the world of cryptocurrency from that of the dark web. So uh, I would say those entering the world of cryptocurrency, they are analogous to those going to California in the 19th century, 18th, 19th centuries. But I think the dark web is a whole other thing. So you have this rise of, um, you, you talk about it at the end, uh, you talk about, I, I do see the beauty in this realm of cryptocurrency and believe there'll be an order to its days of purpose. But there is also an ugliness, a disarray that is the inevitable price of change, strangely, strangely analogous to that of under-policed American small towns. Um, are you saying then that cryptocurrency... I mean, we. this is the same question I guess I asked you before. Are you saying that at least the dark web is the equivalent of the small American town on the frontier in the 19th century? 
I think you can perhaps say that, but I would divorce that from everything to do with the book entirely. The the dark web it existed long before cryptocurrency, and it you know I think if you look at it in terms of Venn diagrams, there is an overlap. But talk about the world of crypto, I I don't think most people will think the dark web. So what did you learn from uh, once a Bitcoin miner, Ethan, at the end? Uh, it's a series of essays. Some of them hold together, some don't. As I said, there's a lot of energy and dark humor in the book. But there isn't a core message, is there? Well, I think the core message is that it's a lot of uh, what we talked about just now, like what what crypto really represents. And also, I think... Lots of people and um, lots of people who write books, they tend to look at crypto either through the lens of computer science or they try to look at it through the lens of monetary policy. But I, I think there are other ways to tell that story. And uh, I try to do it through the lens of the human condition and through the lives of the people in and of this world. So this is as much as it, I can make it. I try to make it read like a novel. It's a narrative nonfiction. It certainly is narrative nonfiction. Um, and I'm quoting you again in terms of what you learned. Uh, when I think about everything I've seen and gone through in the cryptocurrency world, though, I always think back to that summer when I cycled past the River Bow outside my apartment and noticed for the first time the driftwood on its stony shores, riding in on the crests of the booming waters, then left beached when the waves waned. Um, again, a, a kind of decay. Is that fair? Um, physical decay. I just learned a disturbing fact. The Global Mail newspaper just reported on a tributary waterway with the headline saying, officials seek source of river pollution after three years of elevated bacteria levels. Um, is, is then the experience somewhat akin to the the existential crisis we're facing in the, the physical world, something we've done a lot of shows about? Hmm. I, I wouldn't put it that way. I, I think when I wrote about Driftwood, it, uh, it wasn't so much about the decay, but more so that whenever the price rises, it brings in lots of people, like the, like the Driftwood on the waters, but um, lots of people who have not been in this space before newcomers and they go into it uh, following the smell of gold with dollar signs in their eyes. And ultimately not everyone um, finds what they seek here. And I think these are the growing pains of crypto. I'm, uh, I'm bullish on the, in the long term, but I think before we get there, there will be a lot of such growing pains. What does crypto tell us about the problems of capitalism itself? and traditional market-based monetary exchange. We're gonna do some shows about from people who have written books about the general crisis of capitalism. It's not a new story. Of course, the final demise of capitalism has been predicted for the last 200 years, uh, well, certainly since Marx started writing and it hasn't happened yet. But how is the story of cryptocurrency and its Wild West quality bound up with the story of early 21st century capitalism, particularly since the frontier gold mining uh, economy and culture that, that you talk about was very much bound up in mid-19th century globalizing capitalism. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very big idea, but I, I think I'll just uh, 
for the interest of time, maybe I'll just talk about a, a specific aspect of it. I think when when Bitcoin was introduced to the world in the aftermath of the financial crisis of 2008, that was not a coincidence. Um, it, the creator, in fact, he in the first transaction, he first batch of transactions, he had encoded a message that directly referenced that. And I think Bitcoin was born from a, a bit of a frustration against that status quo because how did the financial crisis happen? Uh, the banks gam gambled too much, got too ambitious, too greedy, and ultimately they were bailed out. And and to many people, I think that just shows that the system was broken. What would you say to young people watching this, Ethan, who are perhaps less knowledgeable, less literate about the, finan the financial complexity of Bitcoin, who are pouring lots of money into blockchain? We talked about uh, blockchain being up to $66,000. That's because um, a Bitcoin, I apologize. That's because, of course, huge amounts of money is pouring in. Mostly, it would seem from young people. Um, young investing crypto, would you tell them to continue investing or is this thing going to crash like every other um, irrational market has crashed in the past? Well, I would tell them two things. Um, number one, don't ever gamble with borrowed money. And there is this statistic that lots of people buy crypto with borrowed money and some people, they they end up fine. But I, I think it's, it's, it's just bad to invest with, with debt. And two, um, lots of people find cryptocurrency hard to understand, but the financial markets themselves, the mainstream financial markets, they are also hard to understand. So if you are not already investing, dealing with securities, don't make that jump to crypto. Maybe do some regular investing and then try to, try to make that jump. Do you think the big guys on Wall Street know what they're doing here? Are they playing with young people? Are they going <laughs> to? drive the price up and then allow the market to crash when they get out. Yeah, uh, th that, that has, uh, that has been, there has been persistent talk about that, but I, I would say that that's a very big group, big guys on wall street. And I think some of them know what they're doing. Some of them don't, they are, they're just like us regular people. I, I don't think there is that much cohesion within that group. Yeah, it's funny reading your book, uh, which was, of course, written a little bit earlier in, in late 2020. You say Bitcoin is up, Coinbase is up and all the rest of it. Now it's even more up. Things change. Maybe in six months, everything will be different. Um, what's your strategy with this book? I know you've got a uh, it, it, it's come out uh, as a physical book, but you also have a substack in which you're releasing it as excerpts. Um, are you thinking of yourself as an innovator uh, when it comes to, to, to writing about this stuff, just in the same way as this stuff is itself uh, innovative? Mm. Well, so the, the Substack is actually uh, kind of a sequel. So it's, it's not really, uh, they're not really excerpts. Uh, but I, I would say that I, I do write a lot in this space. I have a column in this Canadian newspaper we call the Financial Post. But I think at heart, I, I think we all contain multitudes. And with this book, I think of myself more as a writer guy than a crypto guy. And I would continue to write more books, but not necessarily on this subject.
And you have a, this was your second book. Uh, you also wrote a book, Field Notes from a Pandemic. How has the pandemic played out on the Bitcoin mania? Are they intimately bound up with one another, do you think? When historians look back at 2020 and 2021, will there be a chapter entitled Bitcoin and the Pandemic? I, I think yes and no. I think you're absolutely right that they're intimate, but intimately bound together, but they may not, ne not necessarily that much that there'll be a chapter that the two of them will be linked together. But absolutely, I think one of the reasons we are seeing this surge in crypto right now is because of runaway inflation. Uh, a while ago, I saw this headline, Argentina, it was going to freeze grocery prices for 90 days. And in what kind of a world would you see a headline like that? Um, El Salvador, it adopted Bitcoin as legal tender uh, just a few weeks and months ago. And yeah. I think more Latin American countries will, will follow in their, in their footsteps. Well, I hope you follow up with, uh, with, with some thoughts on this, because these are important dots that need to be joined in terms of the changing nature of global capitalism and the role of Bitcoin. I think you're absolutely right. And I think this book, Once a Bitcoin Miner, will become a, one of those cult classics. Um, and I'm guessing that the Bitcoin community will love it, won't they? Mm -hmm. Well, I sure hope so. Uh, Ethan, again, congratulations on the book. Um, I hope you continue enlightening us in your own down-to-earth way about the reality of the Bitcoin world and your generational world. What else should people be reading? You're talking to me from your kitchen in Toronto. What else in these strange times of Bitcoin and the pandemic? What, what would you suggest people reading in addition to your new book? Mm -hmm. I will shill my friends from Canada. I have been reading two books. One is called Praying to the West by Omar Muellam, and the other is China Unbound by uh, Joanna Chu. So the first is about, uh, and, and I guess someone Muslim by birth, but atheist, uh, traveling through mosques uh, in, in North America. And the, the second is about China's rise in the world. And I think the second one, uh, the subject is particularly personal to me. And the first one, I don't really care much for the subject, but uh, I, I like the writer and I, I read it purely for the writing. Yeah, I think the China stuff's interesting. I think that's probably the third piece of 2020, 2021, not just the rise of uh, P2P currency, crypto, the pandemic and the rise of China. And of course, uh, on the reverse, other side of the coin, not that we have coins anymore, the decline of America. Well, Ethan Lau, Lou, congratulations on this new book. Well done. Once a Bitcoin miner, scandal and turmoil in the cryptocurrency Wild West really captures the wildness of that Wild West. And uh, I'd love to have you back on the show again in the not too distant future, Ethan, to talk more about crypto, early 21st century capitalism and the end of the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.